Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the
Before you're seated, share a word of greeting with others here in worship as uh, we've come together to praise the name of the Lord. Let me just mention a couple of things uh, happening in the life of the church uh, this week. Tonight at 6 o'clock, we'll be gathering back here for a time of prayer. Uh, the pastors will be available to pray with and for you if you would like to be anointed with oil for healing. If you want to, uh, to, to pray, have us pray for you or uh, someone else, we're happy to do that. We'll also be offering opportunity to offering some corporate prayers as well. And we also have two folks that we're going to, uh, two people will be baptized tonight. And uh, so we're excited about that. So we hope you'll join us tonight at 6 o'clock here in the sanctuary. And next Sunday morning begins our um, after uh, college graduation worship schedule. So just note, next Sunday we begin services at 8.30 and 11. And there will not be a 9.40 service uh, for the rest of the, of the summer. So please note that worship schedule change. Also, we, uh, we still have some opportunities for people to uh, be a part of children's church ministry and Sunday school uh, for children during uh, the next couple of months. And if you would like to take advantage of the opportunity and help out, there are some forums of this color in the back foyer. And you just grab one of those. You can hand it to one of the ushers or pastor or drop it off the church office and we'll get you connected to that ministry. As always, there are prayer concerns, uh, things that we I want to bring before the Father in our own lives, lives of others, and also just things of the world. And we pray for God's grace in each of those circumstances. Good morning. At uh, this time, we have an opportunity to recognize our high school graduating seniors. I'm going to ask them to come on up here and just stand right here in front of the church. Come on up, guys. Uh, at, we just want to take a moment to recognize and celebrate this occasion in their lives. This group of individuals has been a part of our church, uh, many of them for many years, and we would not be who we are without them. They're a part of our church, and uh, so we would just want to celebrate this significant event in their lives. We also want to take a moment to affirm our love and our support for them and our ongoing prayers for them. And we want to we spend a little bit of time asking God for his guidance and his blessing in their lives as they go forward from this state. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to ask them uh, to kneel here at the altar. And if you guys, friends and family, if you would just come forward, we're going to spend just a couple of minutes in prayer uh, for these students. So guys, why don't you just turn and kneel here at the altar for me? Uh, family, friends, come forward. I'm going to have everyone stand just as a show of support. And in prayer. But if, you, if you'd like to, please come forward and let's lay hands on these students. <clears throat> I've asked uh, three people to offer prayers for us. Cindy Austin is both a parent and our elder representative at this service. Norm Smithley and Sherry Reynolds are going to pray. I'll wait for everyone to get up here. This is If you guys want to come on the inside here, you can do that too. There's some space in, in here. All right, let's spend a minute in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for each one of these students. I thank you for the families that they represent. The, in many cases, the families who haven't seen their students, their children in a long time. But I thank you, Father, that each one of these students has had a chance to grow up knowing and hearing about you. And Lord, as they reach this huge milestone, I pray that these last couple weeks of the school year would be worthwhile and fun and all. But I pray especially, Lord, that you would cement in them the truths that they've learned about you. And that as they go on from this place, whether they're going to Houghton College or schools all over the world, that they would know that 
you are with them. I pray, Lord, that they would put you first in their lives, that they'd keep you there, that they'd spend the daily time with you that it takes to really hear you. And I pray, Lord, that you'd bless their families too. It's hard to watch our kids grow up and, and move on, and yet it's exactly what we have been working toward together. And I pray, Lord, that as families, this milestone would also be a time of celebration. In your name, amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for every one of these special seniors. We thank you for giving them to us, entrusting them to us. And Lord, as they go through these next few weeks and making decisions and trying to finish up, we ask that you guide every step of the way for them. We would ask that as they uh, graduate and continue on with school and work, that each day would be given up to you in service for you, in Jesus' name. Father, Father God, we thank you again for each one of these students. Lord, we um, bring them before you, and we thank you for their lives. Lord, if any one of them doesn't know you today, Lord, we ask that you put in their heart a desire and a knowledge and a... <clears throat> and a desire to know you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the teachers and the parents and the pastors that have worked with them throughout the years. We ask um, a special blessing upon them. And Lord, we commit these students to you. We pray protection over them as they travel near and far, Lord. We ask for your wisdom and your peace in each of their lives as they go forth from this place and become adults and start learning um, and growing on their own. We commit them to you and ask that you're with them all. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Seniors, know that we love you and we'll be praying for you uh, as you go on. Uh, at this time, I'd like the seniors to go out to the community room. We've got something special for you there. Parents and friends, thank you for praying. Uh, also, at this time, ushers, we'd like to invite the ushers to come forward and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings.
As we take a few moments to pray together, if you'd like to use the altar as your place of prayer, I invite you to join me. Father, we come to this moment of prayer recognizing that so often life is challenging, difficult, even demanding, and it can be a struggle. And we try our best, and we work hard, and we do all that we can in our power, and it's good. But we come to this moment of prayer today because we recognize that the real answers of life and the real strength and grace that we seek and need is is only in you. That you alone can give us power when we are weak and you alone can save us when we turn our own way. You alone can heal the diseases that plague us and the burdens that overwhelm us. You alone are the Almighty God. And we come today to lay before you the burdens and concerns of our hearts, not just because you are strong, but because also you are good. And in your goodness, we hear your call to be embraced by your love. And we know that you care about every burden in our hearts and every struggle and burden that we don't feel, you feel. And so we ask, Father, for your grace to be upon the burdens and the concerns and and the difficulties that we bring today. In this moment of silence, hear our prayers. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer them because we know that you are trustworthy and faithful and that you desire what is eternally best for each of us. So lead us in the way we should go. Protect us from all that would turn us from you. Give us strength. Give us faith and pour out your mercy on us and on this world. Lord, we do pray today for all of the graduates, high school graduates, college graduates. And we pray that your mercy and grace would be upon each of them. Give them wisdom as they make important decisions. And more than anything, draw them close to you through the power of your spirit. Thank you for hearing our prayers today. Thank you for your love and grace in our lives. And we offer ourselves and every burden to you. And we ask this through Jesus. Amen. We hear now from the word of God, 2 Peter, chapter 3, in your pew Bibles, this is page uh, 1205. Hear now the word of the Lord. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. 
I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and, by, and the earth was formed out of waters and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that as our Lord's patience, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them in them of these matters. His letters contain, contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this. Be on guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forevermore. Amen. Please stand. strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious tool. Lord, to give up I be a fool. You are my
have any inkling of when you think Jesus might return? You ever had any, any thoughts of, you know, I, I think it might be in this time frame, or I think it might happen in this year. I mean, there are, there are people continually who tell us that they have those kinds of uh, perceptions, you know, it's been going on for centuries, ever since Jesus ascended into heaven. People have been declaring, I think it's going to be this day, or I think it's going to be that day, or I think it's going to be this time, or this year. And as we know, all of those have been wrong. But there is something in us that, that really wants to know more about the return of Christ. What, what that means for the world, what that means for us, when that's going to happen, what it's going to look like. And, and we have all kinds of questions about it. And those questions are not bad. Peter, when he is writing this letter, is addressing people who have some of those same questions. They're wondering about when the return of Christ will be and, and, and what that's going to look like. And, and he begins this last chapter as he's finishing the short letter by saying... It's good for you to think about the last days. The issue, though, is you need to be thinking about the last days in the context of what the Scriptures have been telling us. And so he begins by saying, it is right and it's good for you to remember what the prophets said and what Christ said to his apostles about those last days. And there's much in the scriptures about it. And he comes back to that, that thing we talked about a couple of weeks ago about developing our Christian memory. J.B. Phillips translates verse 2 as, I'm telling you things that you already know. This is not something new. This is something God has been saying for a long time. I'm just trying to remind you about it. And it's so important for us to continue to develop our Christian memory, but to develop it not out of our own inklings, but out of what the Scriptures tell us. And when we, when we engage in the Scriptures and we think about what the Scriptures tell us about the coming of Christ, it, it becomes good for us. Wholesome thinking is what Peter says. And the reason that's so important is because there are always people who want to turn us away from the central point of the coming of Christ. There are always people that that want to twist and turn the truths about the return of Christ and, and lead us away from what is most vital and most central. And that seems to be exactly what's happening as Peter writes this letter. There, there are false teachers that he's been referring to throughout these, these short chapters who have come into this, this congregation of Christians and, and have said to them, so you've been talking about Christ returning for a long time. Where is he? Where is this coming of Christ? Doesn't seem to me like anything in the world has changed. The Romans are still in power. You're still being oppressed. Christians are still being persecuted. The the people who have the wealth and the power are still running things. Doesn't look to me like God's doing anything. Doesn't look to me like anything has changed. So what's up? This question reminds me of of what the, uh, the prophet Malachi writes in the second chapter of his prophecy, where he says to the people, you're wearying the Lord with your words. And the people say, how are we wearying the Lord? And he said, by saying that 
that evil is good and it pleases God. And then you ask the question, where is the God of justice? And they're not asking that question out of a sincere desire to know more about God. It's It's a question of accusation. So where is this God of justice you talk about? Doesn't look to me like he's doing anything. Doesn't look to me like God is doing anything just in this world. I think it's craziness. And these false teachers, these skeptics, are using the delay of Christ to undermine the Christian's Christian's understanding and, and belief in the promises of God. They're trying to to convince them that God's promises really aren't true. That God really isn't faithful to his word. And we have people all the time who are telling us that. People who are saying, let's look to me like anything has changed in our world. So tell me, what exactly is Christ's presence here mean for us? How are things any different? And we look around and, and honestly, something in us says, well, they don't really look all that much different and, and it just begins to, to, to edge away our, our faith in God and to erode just a little bit our ability to trust because we're thinking, Lord, why haven't you come back? Why aren't you revealing yourself? Why aren't you doing what you said you would do? And every moment Christ delays, there is the temptation to wonder, is it really going to happen? Is God really going to keep his promise? Is he really faithful to his word? So Peter says, well, let me just remind you of something. Let's go back to way back to the beginning. And Peter, Peter loves referring back to the Old Testament. And especially he, he seems enamored with the flood. That's the second time in this really short letter. He's gone back to the flood. And he says, let me remind you about something that remember God said that if things don't change, I'm going to have to do something about it. Let's go back to Genesis 6 and remember how God flooded the earth. And the same God who flooded the earth keeps his promises. And he's going to hold people accountable. He does what he says. Now, we don't really know. And you go back to that story of Noah and the flood. We have no idea, no details about how long it takes Noah to build the ark. We have no details about, you know, any kinds of of interactions he has with his neighbors. Now, you know, if you've had the opportunity to listen to Bill Cosby's take on this story, you you remember some of the things that he thought might be taking place. You know, I was just listening to that this week. You know, Noah's building the ark and the neighbor comes out and he says, what is that? He says, it's an ark. He said, well, get it out of my driveway. I got to go to work. And, uh, you know, and, you know, we don't know about those interactions, but I do think... That in some form, because it fits the character and the nature of God, that, that Noah warns people. And, and, and Noah tells people, you need to change and some, the, the destruction is coming. And, and you, can, you can join me in this. And they refuse. And I suspect that, you know, it takes Noah probably a number of years to build that massive ark. And during that time, you know he has to endure a lot of ridicule and scorn and mocking. What are you doing, Noah? This is ridiculous. And I'm sure there were days where he got up and thought, why should I work on this today? This is taking so long. This is ridiculous. What's the point? And then he remembers the word of the Lord and he keeps working. And that de- the delays are difficult. And I know Peter is, is talking here about the coming of Christ on that day, but the delays are hard every day. There's stuff that we go through where we're praying to God, we're pouring our hearts out to God, asking him to, to work and to interact. And the God, we believe he can because this is the God who has shown himself over and over again that he will interact into history. And he will change things and he, and he will bring about a different result because he, he intersects history. And we're praying for God to do that. And all we get is silence. Lord, this situation at work needs to change. How come it's not? This relationship needs to get better. Why isn't it? This, this struggle that, that our family's having needs to be answered. 
why isn't it being answered? And the delays have a tendency to to tempt us to let our faith be eroded. And we worry. And doubt can creep into our minds about whether God truly keeps his promises or not. And in those moments, we remember that our God doesn't delay because of weakness. He delays because he's patient with us and he loves us. Peter has an interesting thing to say here about God's time. He says, beginning in verse 8, that, that God, God's time is not our time. You know, we want God's time to be ours. You know, we're not really interested in shaping, letting our time be shaped into the image of God's time. We want God's time to be shaped into our time. Our impatience keeps coming up. And Peter says, look, I know it's hard because we don't see it from this side of eternity, but God can be trusted because his timing is perfect. And every time I read this verse, I, I think about the, the uh, story I read that obviously is apocryphal of a guy who was praying to God and he said, Lord, is it true that to you a, a penny's like a million dollars and, and a second's like eternity? And he said, that's true. He said, well, can I have a penny? And the Lord said, sure, just a second. <laughs> you know, we, we want God's time to be ours and it's hard to wait. But as Peter says, the waiting and the delay is not because God is weak. It's not because God can't really control the world. It's not because God is, is upset with us. It's because God is patient and loving and kind. And in the wider scope of things, he delays because he wants more and more people to know about the grace of uh, his grace in Christ. And we've seen God do this over and over again. You go back to the Old Testament and it tells us that the reason the Israelites were 400 years in slavery was because God was giving the people of Canaan 400 years to repent and to turn from their sins. And God, God wanted to give them every opportunity possible to do that, even though it meant his people might suffer. And so when we think about God's delays. They're not about God ignoring us, God being apathetic toward our problems. It's God's grace, his patient love. Because here's the truth. We learn more about God and we grow more in our faith with God through difficult times than through the times when life is easy. I don't like that. I wish that weren't the case, but I know it's true. In those moments, we are faced with a decision. We're going to trust God and his timing, or are we going to give up and just go our own way? The scriptures tell us that if we trust him and his time and his way, we begin to develop a new heart and a new spirit and a new understanding of who he is and our relationship with him. I think that's why then in verse 10, Peter talks about the, the fact that Christ will come like a thief in the night. He's going to come in a way that surprises us. He doesn't tell us the day and the time. Because human nature is, if he told us the day and the time, if he said, I'm going to return on October 17th, 2013, far too many human beings would say, I'll wait till October 12th, 2013 to do anything about it. And not only do we, we delay and risk, but more than that, we, we miss out on the opportunity to live life in the grace and the presence of Christ now. Our relationship with Christ is not just about fire insurance to get us into heaven. It's about living in, in, the, in the blessing and the grace and the presence of Jesus now. Eternal life doesn't begin at some when we die or when, when Christ returns. It begins now. Eternal life is in us now if we're in Christ. 
and the life and the, that he brings to us and the joy and the grace that we can live in now, even with our problems, even with all the difficulties and even with the struggles, in the midst of that, we can know something more in Christ now. And his surprise coming is one more reason to say, I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. Because I want to know the grace of Christ in my life right now. And the question that we often ask, we're often asking when, we're often asking how about the return of Christ. But, but really the question is really is just being ready now. And so Peter says, beginning in verse 11, so what do we do? If we're, if we're supposed to be prepared, if we're supposed to be ready, if we never know when Christ is going to come, if he delays and delays in such a way that we can never be sure he's going to come like a thief in the night, and all of these, these negative voices are coming at us to try to turn us away, how do we make sure that we're ready? He says, live godly and holy lives. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that's sort of intimidating to me. To think of being ready means living a godly and holy life. Because when we think about holy, we think about Jesus. We think about perfection. I don't think that's what he means. And yet, the scriptures tell us again and again that this is God's command. He tells the Israelites, be holy because I'm holy. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. Be holy, Peter has said in his first letter to the, to the Christians. And I think by holiness, it, it's more an attitude of our hearts. It's, it's a surrender of our being to him than it is about being perfect. It's the yearning, it's the desire of our hearts. John Wesley used to talk about holiness being what he described as perfect love. And again, that, the word perfect sort of scares us a bit because it means absoluteness. Maybe it's what the King James uses. Someone said to me a number of years ago, maybe it'd be better to use the word wholehearted. That to be holy means to live with wholehearted love toward God and toward one another. That the yearning of our heart is for Christ and to grow in Christ and to know Christ and to surrender our being to Christ. So he says, live holy and godly lives. Connection with that, he says, live with the sense of righteousness that will be a part of the new heaven and the new earth. When Jesus prays, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I think a a big part of what he's saying is, Lord, help us to live, Father, help us to live in this world with the kingdom principles of your eternal world. Help us to want for our lives and for this earth the same things that are going to be central to your kingdom in the new heaven and the new earth. And the new heaven and the new earth are going to be about justice and about, and about loving and caring. They're going to be the heart of Christ. Whatever we see in Christ, that's, those are kingdom principles. And that righteousness where everything will be perfect and everything will be about doing the things that God wants people to do. And that's the yearning of our hearts here. When I think about the new heaven and new earth, my mind went back to to, uh, what Isaiah writes in his prophecy. He says, in that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. Jesus says to his disciples... On that Thursday night before he goes to the cross the next day. Here's my command to you. Love one another. This is how people will know you're my disciples. If you love one another. If you want to put in a nutshell. 
what the kingdom is about. It's about loving God and loving others. And that will be the focus. That will be the heart of the kingdom of righteousness in the new heaven and the new earth. And if we want to prepare for that, we start wanting that now in our lives. He also talks about being spotless and blameless and at peace. This is about relationships. And it, all of this is really just sort of walking around the same diamond. Talking about relationships and, and caring about people and being at peace with people and being a person of reconciliation. That we want to be reconciled with God, but we also want to help other people be reconciled with God. And we want to be reconciled with other people. And so we're always thinking about how we can love God and how we can love other people. And he talks about being patient as he is patient with us. That we're willing to let God delay in his coming, even though that means we might suffer a little bit more. We might struggle in this life a little bit more, but we're willing to do that because it means more people might come to know Christ. More people might come to live in the joy and the grace of Christ. And our hearts are so turned to loving people that we're willing to sacrifice so that they might know and hear. Peter wants us to have that kind of mindset, that spirit of Christ, and that's how we prepare. That we are eagerly anticipating the coming of Christ, but willing to wait for his time and his way. It's important for us to be prepared because there are always people who are wanting to deceive and to turn our attention away from Christ and what's central. I think even, even the, the people who want to focus on when Christ is going to return are shifting the focus away from what's most important to something that's quite peripheral. And as he says here, there are people who are always willing to twist the scriptures. Even someone like Paul, someone in authority, twisting the scriptures... And trying to convince us that it's not true. And he says, be careful because every one of us is susceptible to being deceived and falling. And as we talked last week, we may have different opinions about exactly what that means and the security of the believers because scripture tells us both things. But at the very least, Peter's warning is be careful, be alert, be aware. Because the evil one is always wanting to deceive us. And the way to to combat that, the best strategy for not being deceived is continuing to grow in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. To be focused on him, that our mind, our heart, our spirits, everything about our being, what's most important to us is Christ. And as much as we want to experience the joy and the blessing of heaven... While we're here, it's about Christ. It's about wanting what he wants. It's about continually asking him to push the stuff of this world to the periphery so that our focus and our direction is on him. When you come to the last phrase of the letter, he talks about giving glory to Christ now and forever. It seems to me that the sign of of spiritual maturity, the sign that that we are making progress is that we begin to think of living our lives for one purpose, and that is to bring glory to Christ. And that we begin to shift from, even from what Christ is going to do for us, as wonderful as that is, to just thinking about how our lives, how our words, our actions, our thoughts, our attitudes can bring glory to Christ. When we get to heaven, that will be the focus. When we get to heaven, it will all be, it'll be all about Christ. It'll be about worshiping Christ and adoring Christ and laying down everything we have before Christ. And but what better way to prepare for that day than to desire to live that way 
this day. You know, when I, when I was, I don't know, junior high, I guess, something like that. I remember at church, some of you may remember this, watching the movie A Thief in the Night. You guys remember that movie? Scared the bejeebies out of me, man. You know, I, I, like I said, I was probably junior high and I saw it again when I was in seminary. It scared me to death then too. I think that was probably the goal of the movie. I think it, the intention was to try to scare people out of hell and into heaven. And, and you know, the, the, I remember you know, just all kinds of scenes from that. But I, I vividly remember not too long after seeing that movie, coming home from baseball practice one early evening and walking into the house and expecting everyone to be there and no one was home. Panic, freak out, I'm just telling you. You know, and, and you live with this fear for so long. But you know, lately, I've been, as I've been reading through the New Testament, what I find is that when the writers of the New Testament talk about the coming of Christ, most of the time, it's not about fear. It's about hope. It's about celebration. It's about joy. It's about entering into the fullness of life with our Savior. And I'm convinced that that's what God wants for us, not just then, but now. We don't know when the day will come. We don't know why God delays. But while we wait... What's the focus of our attention? What's the focus of our heart? What do we desire most as we live in this world? I'd like for you to join me in response in praying together a prayer of confession as we pour out our hearts to God together recognizing our sins and asking him to refocus us and to reset us on him. Let's pray together. I think you have it on the screen. No? All right. Merciful God, you pardon all who truly repent and turn to you. We humbly confess our sins And ask for your mercy. We've not loved you with a pure heart. Nor have we loved our neighbors as ourselves. We've not done justice. Or loved kindness. Or walked humbly with you, our God. Have mercy on us, Lord. In your loving kindness, in your great compassion, cleanse us from our sin. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us, but restore to us the joy of your salvation and sustain us with your bountiful spirit. Amen. Please stand and sing with us. Thank you.
awestruck wonder as the mention of your name. bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.